Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that it is the living, breathing word of God. It's not an old, antiquated book like every other book that's ever been written, Father, but it truly is your word. And Lord, I just pray that tonight that our hearts would be soft and prepared to hear from you, that you would be our teachers, Lord, that you would take the, the plagues of Egypt and, Lord, allow them to minister to our lives, Father God, as you teach us through your word. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. You're such an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to pick up, continue to witness God's plagues on Egypt. You might think, man, I hope God's plagues on Egypt don't apply to my life, but the reality is that they're going to. And as we look at the plagues in Egypt, last, last couple of weeks, we saw how initially that Moses was called by God, and Moses' initial response to being called by God was he was afraid. He said, I'm a stutterer, I'm not qualified, I can't possibly do it. And to be honest with you, and that's a great initial response, is to respond in humility. You know what? All of us, without God, are, are worthless. Without God, we can do nothing, the Bible says. So we need to be fully reliant upon Him to be used mightily by Him. And so Moses' initial response was great, but the problem was that as God continued to tell Moses that he was called, Moses continued to doubt. Humility, for a long period of time, can become doubt if we just disagree with what God has told us, and that's what happened with Moses. Eventually Moses does show up and he appears before Pharaoh. God did signs and wonders to prove to him that he was called, and when he showed up to Pharaoh and he said to Pharaoh, the Lord has sent me and told you to let my people go, Pharaoh's response was, who is the Lord that I should listen to you? Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? Who's the Lord? And you know what? That may have been several thousand years ago, but it hasn't changed today. There's still many that say, who's the Lord? Who's the Lord? Oh, whatever. Who's this God you talk about? I don't care. You know what? I've got my own path. I've got my own re religion. I've got my own relationship. I don't need to talk about your Lord. I don't care what your Lord thinks. But the reality is that we need to learn to have a, a godly fear, a fear of Almighty God. It's the same heart that's in the world today. There is no fear of God. And just as Pharaoh would not abdicate the authority of his throne, so too will people not abdicate the authority of their throne today. They, they want to be on the throne of their own life. And to, to give it over to the Lord, you've got to die. And that's something that people really struggle with. So each plague that God brought, He brought to get the attention of Pharaoh, to get the attention of Egypt. And as we're going to see tonight, also to minister to Israel. But as each plague came, they, they grew worse and worse and harsher and harsher. But at the same time, the heart of Pharaoh grew harder and harder. We saw that the very first one of the plagues was that he turned water into blood. It killed all the fish. It brought Egypt to its knees. It says they had to dig in the ground to find water to drink. So they were on their knees. And we know that, that it refuted the Egyptian god, Sothis. Now what's interesting to me is every one of the plagues would refute an Egyptian god. Egypt had a lot of gods. More than we can number. Tons of gods. And each one of their gods was a god over something different. And each one of the plagues was refuting one of their gods and proving their gods to be false. You know, the world has a lot of gods today. The gods of finances and career and money and power and, and lust and whatever else it might be. And when you find out that, that you go out and serve that god and that god leaves you empty. There's only one god that will satisfy and that's Almighty God. You know, it's interesting to me that the first plague was Moses turning water into blood, and the first miracle that Jesus performed was turning water into wine. Water into blood is a picture of God's judgment upon mankind because of its sinfulness, and water into blood is a picture of God's redemption, that Jesus came to redeem us from the fact that we have fallen sinners. The second plague was frogs, and it's interesting that the frogs covered the land, it was in their beds, their ovens, their bowls, it says, and they had a god, a frog god that they served. 
Can you imagine? It had the body of a woman and the head of a frog. Nice God. And they served this God, but this God, that they, they honored frogs, and they esteemed frogs highly. And this thing that had been a blessing to them, because it ate all the insects and kept their crops uh, growing, became a plague to them. And the same can be true of us. The thing that can be a pleasure to us, if done out of control, can become a plague to us. And that's what happened with the frogs. The third plague was lice. What's interesting about that is the Egyptians were into cleanliness. They shaved their entire bodies out of fear of lice, and God brought lice upon them. And what does that teach us? It teaches us that we cannot cleanse ourselves. No matter how hard Egypt tried to make themselves clean, they could not be clean enough because God still brought lice, showing to them their need to cry out to Him as a Savior. Again, it also refuted the Egyptian god Hathor, the god of lice. They had a god of lice. That's pretty awesome. The lice god. That'd be a, I'd love to be the lice god. Then they had a plague that, that, that of flies, and these flies bit people. It's too bad the frogs didn't come after the flies because they could have taken care of the flies. But the frogs came first, the flies came later, and these flies were biting the people. And it's interesting that that was the first plague that came only on Egypt. We see how God ultimately, in His judgment, will deliver His children while judging those who deny Him. It's interesting that the first three plagues, we all, they all went through it together. A picture of the fact that as Christians in this world, we're going to go through difficulty. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. But ultimately, before it's over, judgment will come only to those who deny God. And that's what happened with Egypt. So we see that God spared His people. And the manifestation, there was a, an Egyptian fly god. And here, here again we go that God didn't help him out too much. A pharaoh in the midst of this, of this trial or this judgment or this plague tried to get... Moses and Israel to compromise. He said, you know what? Go ahead and go serve your God, but don't go too far. Just stay right here in Egypt, and I'll go ahead and let you sacrifice to your God. And Moses said, no. Why? Because the world's same plot today is stay in the world and still serve God. And the reality is that we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And we can't stay in the world and truly serve God. We've got to be set apart. That's what the Bible talks about. Later he said, well, okay, you can go, but don't go too far away. Stay where it's convenient. And a lot of times as Christians, we just want to have a convenient life. We want to be on the cruise ship to heaven. And we, want to, we don't want to rock the boat too much. We don't want to be too radical for our faith. The fifth plague last week was diseased livestock. Some people believe it was anthrax. It was loss of Egyptian wealth. It refuted several Egyptian gods. They had a god to a bull. They had a god to a cow and a god to a ram. And guess what? None of them worked out too well. Can you imagine your gods have a disease? You've got a diseased God. You go out to see your God and it's covered in sores and it's got a disease and it's falling over and dying. That's not too good. I don't want to serve a God that can die. That's not good. Or a God that's made out of wood. I go out and carve it myself, you know, and chip its eyes out and then say, oh, there's my God and I'm going to bow to it. And that's what the Bible says. Some men will take a piece of wood, they'll cut half of it and put it in their fire to warm themselves and they'll bow down to the other half after they carve it up. But that's what the Egyptians did. They were worshiping these false gods. The sixth plague was boils. Now, this is the most severe yet. They keep getting more and more severe. Can you imagine being covered head to toe in boils? And can you imagine if you're people that are hyper into cleanliness, and now all of a sudden you've got boils head to toe? you think at some point there'd be repentance. I think the, blood, the water into blood would have done it for me. What? Oh, what? Hey, whoa. That, that, uh, no one can do that unless they're God, right? Well, that'd be enough. But you know what? Each plague kept coming, and their hearts kept getting harder, and now they're covered head to toe in boils. Now, it's interesting that they had a, a God that they worshipped, that was supposed to keep boils off of them. The God was called Typhoon. And it's interesting that this God Typhoon, they would sacrifice babies and burn them in this furnace to the God Typhoon. And when the Lord brought this plague about, He told them to reach into the furnace and grab 
out of that furnace some of the ashes and throw them into the air, and that would become the boils on all the bodies in the area. You know what? They were serving a false god, and that god brought destruction upon them. If you're serving any other god, he will destroy you. He will not bring you life. He'll destroy you. The, sixth, the seventh plague was hail. And God warned those that, that the hail was coming. And there were some that finally listened. We saw in the end of the text last week that some of them heard the word of the Lord and they took their animals and they took their families and they fled and they got away from the hail. But those that stayed out in the field were killed. So those who did not honor the word of God, all hail broke loose. And that's what happened. The hail fell on them and, many, and they all died out in the field. So we move on tonight. We're going to see two more plagues. And in those two plagues, we're also going to see two more attempts by Pharaoh to make Moses and the people of Israel compromise. And I believe these are two compromises that we are faced with all the time in the world today. And we're going to look at those as we go through the text. So let's take a look, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 10. And we're going to look at the eighth plague. And this is the plague of locusts. So let's begin in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. It's interesting that prior to this, every one of the plagues was to, to bring repentance in Egypt and in the heart of Pharaoh. And now we see that God is changing part of his focus to not just to bring repentance, but also to bring to the children of Israel the realization that the Lord is God. Now remember that they've been in bondage for 400 years. And they've been in bondage because of their own disobedience. But in the midst of that, God is going to reveal to them that yes, I am the Lord. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh, Almighty God. Yes, I am the true and the living God. And so this time as he comes, his heart and his desire is going to be to reveal to his children that he truly is God. You know, through this testing, God would give them a testimony. Through the 400 years of bondage and the time that they went through the plagues and the deliverance out of Egypt, their test would become a testimony. And the same thing is true of every one of us in this room. Without a test, we can have no testimony. Without the difficulties of life and trusting in God and watching the hand of God deliver us, we cannot have a testimony to a lost and a dying world. You know, we want the rainbow, and rainbows are great, but the problem is, before you see the rainbow, you've got to go through a storm. And you know, we want the, we want the fruit, we want to grow spiritually, but we don't want to have to go through the difficulties that bring the growth. You know, it's, I've noticed in my own walk and the people I've met and, and books I've read, that the people that tend to be the most spiritually deep and mature, most often, are those who've gone through the greatest amount of trials. It's interesting, I just wrote some names down here that, that came to mind immediately. How many of you have ever heard of Corey Ten Boom? Right? Now, did she go through some trials? But was she not a mighty and awesome woman of God? The guy that did youth with me over in San Jose got saved reading her book. And many people, and you know what? She dealt with lice and she dealt with starvation. And she was put into a concentration camp in Germany. And she watched her sister die. And, you know, all the things that she went through. But God used that ultimately for his glory. Because of her test, she had an awesome testimony. What about uh, John Corson, who's one of my favorite Bible teachers? He's up at Calvary Chapel in Oregon. And you know what? His wife was killed in a car accident. And then some years later, his daughter was killed in a car accident on the very same road, both of whom were serving and honoring the Lord. And it's amazing to me, though, that when John Corson talks about suffering or talks about difficulties of life, he's somebody that you absolutely say, oh, amen, 
Why? Because he understands. Because he's had that test, so he has the testimony. There's a man that spoke in this church many, many years ago when I was a kid and I went to church here. His name was Richard Wormbrandt. He spent years in a, in a prison in Romania for preaching the gospel. And when he got up and spoke, he couldn't even stand. He had to sit because he had spent so many years in a cell that, that he couldn't do it anymore. And you know what? His testimony was powerful because he'd been through many tests. And so when we go through tests and trials in life, know that God is in control. When you think of people like Daniel and Joseph and other people that are just used awesome and mightily by God in His Word, they're men and women who've gone through difficulty that they might have a testimony before a lost and dying world. And like Moses, we too should be sharing. Like he says, his command is that I want you to take what I show you and I want you to share it with your children and your grandchildren. And you know what? That's what we need to be doing. We need to be ministering to our kids. We're going to talk to you about that more as we continue on through the text. Look at verse 3. So Moses and Aaron came in to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. This is now the ninth time he's been asked, let my people go. And this will be the ninth time that he doesn't do it. And what's interesting to me is that the Lord continues to come to him. This is a picture of God's grace. He continues to give him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent. It says, or else, verse 4, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, that no one will be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up from off of the, out of the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of your servants, the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's father have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. So they bring in this, this warning to Pharaoh. They say, Pharaoh, here's the deal. You're going to get bugged, man. Bugs are coming. And not only are they coming, but you know what? Little's left after that hailstorm that wiped out everything. You know how there's a little bit left that you guys are feeding off of? There's going to be nothing left if you don't heed God's word. If you don't humble yourself, destruction's coming. And you know what? A lot of times, people will shy away from preaching the entire gospel. The reality is that our God is a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy. He loves us so much, He'd rather die than live without us. But the reality is, He's also a God of righteous judgment. And those who reject Him over and over and over and over again are choosing to be separated from Him, are choosing their judgment. And that's what Pharaoh's doing. The Lord comes to him over, sends Moses again, and He sends him again, and He sends him again. He brings signs, He brings wonders, He shows him, makes it very clear who He is, and He still does not repent. Why? Because He has a hard heart. It's interesting that locusts, flying by the millions, can completely devastate miles of crops. They can eat all the leaves and even tree bark. They can wipe out much of a nation's food supply in minutes or hours. Just devastating. And that's exactly what God said was coming. Here it comes. Here come the, here come the locusts. They're going to wipe everything out. The locusts were feared so heavily by farmers that guess what? They had a locust god. The locust god's name was Serapis. And guess what? Didn't work out too well. Another god that didn't seem to work. Man, wrong god. Serving the wrong god. Can you imagine how devastating it would be for those who are going to get to heaven and find out they've been serving the wrong god? Whoops. Been serving the wrong God. And you know what? Here's the reality, you guys. There's only one way, there's only one truth, there's only one life, and it's only Jesus Christ. Amen? I've said it before, Buddha dead, Hare Krishna dead, Joseph Smith dead, Mary Baker Eddy dead, they're all dead, but Jesus Christ is a risen living Savior who's triumphed over sin and death. Amen? And we don't serve a dead God. We can go dig up Joseph Smith's bones right now. We can go find his grave and dig him up because he's a dead guy, right? But Jesus Christ, you go to his tomb, he's not there anymore. He triumphed over sin and death. 
And praise the Lord that we know that we know that we know that we're serving the true and living God. His Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. We've been born again. We're new creations in Him. We're not trying to work hard enough so God will love us. But He died, He paid the price for us, and we just accept His free gift. What a tragedy, serving the locust God. The, you know, the God of boils. Man, I don't want to serve that God. I want to serve the true and the living God. Verse 7. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let this man go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So not only is Moses been saying to him, let the people go, let the people go, let the people go. How long are you going to continue this? How long? Finally, his own people go, hey, Pharaoh, give it up already. I mean, how many more plagues do we need? We've already been wiped out. We've already been destroyed. Don't you get it, Pharaoh? Come here, let me look around. There's nothing left. The hail came. The food's gone. Everything's been destroyed. Your people are tore up. They've been head to toe in boils. How many more things do you need, Pharaoh? And Pharaoh, you know, and you know what happens, though? It's amazing to me that those that quite often have the hardest hearts, it doesn't matter how much comes, they're on their way to destruction, they just don't even see it. The destruction is all around Pharaoh, and he still doesn't get it. It's, it, it the whole kingdom's falling apart, and he's still stuck in his ways. And you know what? He's going to be stuck in his ways till he ends up in the bottom of the Red Sea in a few chapters from now. Because he just won't repent. He just won't turn. He just won't give up the throne. He has to be in charge. Moses and Aaron had delivered God's question to Pharaoh. How long will you refuse? Now his own servants are asking him, how long? Let the men go. Let them go. Give it up. Pharaoh, let them go. This isn't working. You know what? There are slaves, but it's not worth having them around anymore. The price is way too high. Look what's happened to our kingdom. Just let them go. Verse 8. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones who are going? So here we see Pharaoh, for the first time, before the plague comes, attempts to negotiate with Moses and Aaron. He says, okay, now come in here, guys. Now locusts are coming. Oh, that's probably not good. Well, uh, and everything else you've said has been right. Let's figure out a way. Go ahead. You can go and serve your God. But tell me who's going. He's trying to compromise and negotiate. Well, tell me who's going. How, you know, there's a couple million uh, of, of, these, of Israelites. So who all are you taking anyway? Now, what has he said all along? Let my people, all of my people... And now he's like negotiating with them. Well, why don't you just compromise a little bit and I'll give you what you've been looking for. And again, that's a lot of times what the world will do to us. So which ones are going? And he tries to negotiate. Moses' response is, look at verse 9. And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said, The Lord had better be with you. I will let... I will let you and your little ones go. Beware, evil is ahead of you. Now here's what happens. He goes in and he says, we're all going. And Pharaoh responds with a threat. And I'd be shaking right about now, how about you? I mean, Pharaoh, ooh, Pharaoh, okay. You know, I've got Almighty God on my side. I think your locust God hasn't been working out. Your boil God didn't seem to do too much. The ram God, the, the other, all the other gods, the frog God, that seemed to work out pretty well. And, you know, you brought your magicians in, and they even said, oh, oh, we can't do it. Only God, only the finger of God. They told them after the third plague. Only the finger of God could do this. So all of you, everybody on your side's bailing out, and now you're giving us an ultimatum. And they're saying, you know what, you can't go. Well, if you go, then evil's going to come against you. You better watch out. We're going we're to come, come after you. Verse uh, 11. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord. So he says, look, 
the Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go, because there'll be evil in front of you. If I let all of you go, boy, the Lord better be with you. Well, I think we figured out that the Lord's with them already. Amen? And, you know, I think we've seen whose side God's on. But he says, the Lord had better be with you. And he, he tries to threaten them. Pharaoh offers his compromise. Look at verse 11. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord. For that is what you desired. So he says, okay, here's the deal. All the men can go. All the men can go. You can take all the men, and you guys can go out and do what you've been asking me, but you're going to leave the women and the children here. All the men can go. Just go ahead. Leave. Go and serve the Lord, but leave the little ones behind. You know, the world tells us the same thing today. Be a Christian if you want, but don't be so fanatical that you keep your kids from having fun. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. Let them do what the other kids do. I'll tell you one of the biggest things that we need to be weary of in the church is, is leaving our children behind, or leaving our wives behind, leaving our family behind. You know what? The Bible says a man who cannot rule in his own house, how can he rule in the church? Our first ministry is our family above everything else. If you're young here tonight you don't have kids yet, it's still good for you to hear this. Because when you do, you want to raise your kids in the admonition of Jesus Christ. You know, don't make them be, be thought of as different. Just compromise. Go and serve God with your whole heart, but leave your children and let them be a part of the world. And don't be such a fanatic. My favorite, one of my favorite verses, if anybody's ever called my house before, you hear it on my answering machine. It's on the wall in my house. And it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's like our theme verse at home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The standard of raising our children is not popularity with the world, but obedience to God. We don't want, I don't care if my kids are popular with the world. It means absolutely nothing to me. I don't care. You know, my daughter's going to be starting high school next year. She's going to Monta Vista. And, you know, when they're interviewing us for her to go to this Christian school, they're telling me all about how great their academics are. And, they're, you know, they're the Harvard of high schools and they're this and they're that. And, you know, we got kids coming from the Pacific Rim. And I, I finally stopped her and said, you know what? That's really pretty much irrelevant to me. I, I really don't care. I just want to know where you guys are at with Jesus. I want to know if you're going it, to, it's going to, my daughter's going to leave this place loving and knowing God more because she's been here. That's what, do your, are your teachers on fire for God? Do they pray for the kids? I don't care if my daughter digs ditches for a living if she digs them for Jesus. Amen? I'd rather have a daughter who loves God with her whole heart, who's making the minimum wage, than someone who's got a PhD and doesn't know God. And you know what? We need to train up a child in the way they should go. And the world says, leave your kids behind. You serve God with your whole heart. But don't be fanatical when it comes to your children. The Bible says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. What other people set as a standard for their children is irrelevant. The Bible says that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. God knows what is best for us. He knows what is best for our children. And Satan is trying to get us to compromise, to leave our children behind. I was a youth pastor, most of you know, for 15 years. And I worked with high school kids. And this is a conversation, I, if I had it once, I had it 200 times. And a variation of this. A mom would show up and say, my 15, 16-year-old son doesn't want to come to church because he likes to go surfing. And so he goes surfing on Sunday morning. And I, you know, I really don't feel like I should infringe upon him to make him go to church because then he's going to resent, the, the, resent church. And you know, I want him to come to him himself. And you know, so I just let him go. I don't, want to I don't want him to resent church. I don't want him to be left out when it comes to his friends. You know what, there's a difference between ministry and fellowship. He's not to have fellowship with the world. We're to minister to the world and have fellowship with God's people only. 
And what's sad to me is that same t- person, I'd say, well, let me ask you a question. If your son didn't want to go to math, would you make him go? Oh, yeah, he's got to go to math. Wait a minute. He's got to go to math? He's got to go to, you know, learn about the Pythagorean theorem, but you don't want him to learn about Jesus? It's not that important to you that he learned about the son? So this is the compromise that we see Pharaoh saying, just leave your children here. They're not important. Just leave them behind and go and serve your God. You know what? We're all going or we're not going. That's what Moses said. We're all leaving together or none of us is going anywhere. We're not going to compromise. I'm not going to sacrifice my family. I'm not going to do it. Fellowship means to have in common, and we have nothing in common with the world. The 16-year-old boy you know, that wants to go surfing is being more influenced by the world than he, and its fleshly desires than he is having an impact on it for the kingdom of God. And it doesn't have to be surfing. It can be Little League. It can be music lessons. It can be homework, TV. My kids need more rest. You know, here's the reality. I'm not talking about little babies that need to sleep. I'm talking about if you've got kids old enough to be in school, they're old enough to be at church. Amen? You know why? Because here's what happens. God, oh, my kids need to get rest for school. You know what? I'd rather have my kid be an hour late for school than have them miss a place where they're going to grow in the relationship with Jesus. Oh, man, Pastor Dave, you're being radical. Yeah, there it is. I'm being radical. And praise the Lord for that. But you know what? Dial it down, man. Just let them fit in. Oh, you're going to make your son miss a Little League game to go to every single time. Coach gets mad at me. Guy had Sunday morning practice at 10 a.m. And wants to know why my boys aren't there. Let me think about it for a second. No, they're not coming. Why not? Well, let me see. Well, Little League's important. Little League is chaff. God is important. Amen? I mean, compared to God, nothing is important. And, you know, people just get wigged out on you. Wait a minute. Can't they just come a little? No, they're not coming. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to honor God. You know, again, my kids need to rest. They've got to do homework. Again, do your homework right away. But, man, spend time with the Lord. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by doing my math homework. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by playing third base on my little league team. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by playing the clarinet in the band at school. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by surfing. No, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen? And we need to pour the Word of God into our kids. How are they going to fall in love with Jesus if they don't know Him? They don't spend time with Him, if they're not walking with Him. You know what? I praise the Lord so much for the fact that I grew up in a Christian home. We need to bathe our kids in the Word. I love... When I, my kids were little, my wife and I used to teach in the two and three year old class. And we used to sing, Jesus Loves Me. And B I B L E, yes, that's the book for me. I watch a video of my son who's now 11 when he was two. You know, B I B, that's, you know, and I, I mean, ever marching. I love that stuff. Why? Because he's hiding God's word in his heart. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Is there any greater truth in the world than that? And praise the Lord, my kids are being raised with that. In the children's ministry, our kids right now are being taught the truth of the Bible. How each of them may have a a firm foundation in Christ. How they can turn their own life over to the Lord. Do you know that 87% of all salvations come before the age of 15? How important is it that our kids be in church? How important is it that our kids be raised with the truth of God's Word? Youth group, preparing them for life decisions, the peer pressure, uh, solidifying their faith, helping them to grow and be salt and light on their campus. You know, just a couple weeks ago, Pastor Chuck was over in San Jose at the men's conference, and he said, he had said something that shocked me, because I'd never heard it before. He said when he grew up, he had a drug problem. Pastor Chuck had a drug problem? He goes, yeah, I was drugged to church, I was drugged to Sunday school, I was drugged to prayer meeting. He said, I was drug- my parents drugged me all the time. They made me go to church, I, I'm, I'm tired, you're going, you're going. You're going to church. I had a drug problem. You know what? And I can't even begin to tell you how thankful I am that God allowed me to be 
to be raised in a Christian home. Most of you know I'm a preacher's kid. You know, my dad, I'm a PK. I thank God that I'm a PK. People say, isn't it a bum? No. It's the greatest thing in the world to be a preacher's kid. One of my first words was Bible. You know, if your dad's a fireman, you run around with the hose in the backyard. My mom said when my brother and I were little, we'd stand in a box and we'd preach at each other. Because <laughs> that's what dad does at work. You go to work, oh, that's what you do, and you go home and you preach at And praise the Lord that you're raised in a home where you're taught the word of God. You know, just recently, and I'm going to get back to the text, but I was driving home from San Diego a couple years ago, and I can't even believe I found it. It was the grace of God, but I found the church, First Baptist Church of Wilmington, that I went to when I was four, five, six, and seven years old. And I can't believe that we found it. We were driving around and we found it. And I got out of the car, and there happened to be a, a maintenance guy there, and he opened up the church and let me go in. Now, again, I don't worship a building, and it's just a building, that's all it is. But I'll tell you what, when I went over to the children's church where Mrs. Green taught me the Bible, and I remember at four and a half years old praying and asking Jesus Christ to be my Savior, I got Jesus bumps. You know what I'm talking about, right? People call them, I, got, I was like, man, this is where I, and then I went into the church, and there I, I saw the place where my dad had baptized me. And you know what? I was weeping. Why? Not because of the building, but just remembering that God had met me there, that I had grown up in a godly home. So when, so when Pharaoh says, just leave your kids behind, just leave them here. You go ahead. You can go. You know what? It'd be quicker. Moses, couldn't they move a lot quicker without the kids? If they just took the men and bailed out and left the women and the children behind, they'd have got to the promised land a lot quicker. But that's not what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to go to the promised land alone. He wants us to bring our families with us. Again, I'm thankful that my parents didn't leave me behind. I pray that each one of us would not leave our children behind. For the sake of your children and their spiritual walk with God, don't accept Satan's offer. Don't compromise. Don't leave your children behind. Don't be concerned about their popularity with the world. Be faithful to raise them to know the Lord for themselves. And remember that faith comes by hearing and, the hear- and hearing by the word of God. Back to the text. I don't do that very often, but obviously I'm passionate about our children. It's so important to me that our kids know God. You know what? I'm telling you right now that I would never let anybody teach our kids in children's ministry that I wouldn't be comfortable having them stand up here and teach you guys. We don't just say, oh, you're breathing, okay, you want to take care of the kids, go ahead. No, we're not doing that. I view that as, the, as as important a ministry as anything else that happens in this church. And so every single person that teaches our kids, Patrick's in their teacher right now, I would, have comfort, I would be comfortable with Patrick getting up here right now and teaching you guys the Bible. Pat and Warren and, and my mom and other people that teach our kids on Sunday morning, I would feel comfortable with them teaching adults or i won't let them teach our children why because that is so important of a ministry look at the end of verse 11 and it says and they were driven out from pharaoh's presence when they said we're going to take everybody he said they said you you know not so only the men can go and it said that they were driven out unwilling to accept pharaoh's compromise they were angrily dismissed from pharaoh's throne room and so too will the world react to us with anger when we refuse to compromise if you make a stand for god Get ready, because you're going to catch some heat. Amen? The Bible says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake. Oh, how happy. That means God must be using you. Amen? And so if someone's getting after you, say, Praise the Lord, God must be using me. That's good. If you're an undercover Christian on cruise control and no one knows you're saved, that's not a good thing, that's a bad thing. Amen? If you've been born again, it's not so you can just, Oh, I've been saved, and I, just, I won't say anything, because I don't want to catch any heat. We need to be catching some heat. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locust. They may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind 
on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locust. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on the territory of Egypt. And they were very severe. Previously there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be after them. Verse 15. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land, all the fruit of the trees, which the hail had left. So they remained nothing green on the trees or the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. So Pharaoh's hard heart and stubbornness brought more destruction upon his people. Because he would not heed the word of God, because he would not listen to the word of God, it only got worse. And the same is true with us. When you, how many of you know you know, you know? you know you know that you know when the Holy Spirit's convicting you, right? Amen? And that's a good thing. That's a, and when I was a youth pastor, I used to put it this way. I called it the Holy Spirit head slap. Whenever I was getting ready to do something wrong, I'd feel this. Right? And that's just how it feels to me. Holy Spirit's just going, don't, don't do it. Right? And then I go, I go ahead and do it anyway. Right? You know what? You never sin on accident. Have you ever noticed that? You don't just, oh, whoops, I sinned. No, you, the Holy Spirit's right there going, no, no, no. And you, oh, I'm doing it anyway. And you just go, and, you, and then you sin, and then the Holy Spirit, oh. Then you're convicted, and then you're broken, and then you repent, and you get right with the Lord. And the sad part is that's happening like many times a day. Have you ever noticed that? Just keep, oh, man, I, oh, shouldn't have said that. Oh, shouldn't have thought that. Oh, shouldn't have done that. And Pharaoh, his heart is so hard that he just brings destruction upon himself. And when we harden our heart toward the voice of God, we're bringing destruction. Someone will come to me and say, yeah, I'm dating this guy. He doesn't know the Lord, but he's really kind of cute. and He's got a nice car and a good job, so I'm, I'm, I'm praying for him. Let me tell you something. You're on your way to destruction. Amen? Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with them. Well, yeah, but you know, you don't understand. I mean, you don't, quit making excuses. Amen? I mean, I'm amazed in counseling. Everybody's always making excuses. Well, my, if you had my wife, you'd understand. You know, if you had my, if you had my bot, it, do you see that anywhere in the Bible? It says, you know, love your wife with all hearts, unless your wife's really a pain. Then don't do it. And that's not what the Bible says. And too often we're making excuses. And here's what Pharaoh's doing. He, oh, well, you know, go ahead, but you can only take some of the people. And, if you, and you know what? It's bringing destruction upon his life. And the same will happen to us if we do not honor God. They had a god named Nut. Nice name. The Egyptian sky goddess. Guess what? Couldn't keep the locusts out of the sky. They had Osiris, who was the god of crop fertility. Well, guess what? All the crops got wiped out. Another god down the drain. Their gods just keep dropping and dropping. They're falling down, falling down, falling down. You know, have you ever noticed how all the other false prophets got to keep updating their prophecy? You know, according to Jehovah's Witnesses, the Lord would have come, I mean, the end of the world is supposed to have happened about 85 times by now. And the Bible says if you're a false prophet one time, you, you miss once, you're a false prophet, right? One time. We've been wrong 85 times and people still going. What's up with that? Why? Hard and hard. They don't get it. Your God fell down already. No, no watchtower, not going to work. It's a lie. Hello, it's a lie. It's not working, right? And, and people keep following it. Why? Well, I, I don't know. A bunch of lemmings. We need to read the Bible. We need to understand what the Word says. We're going to be deceived if we follow a lie. And that's exactly what had happened here. They follow all these false gods. They keep trusting in all these idols and stuff that are mounted up all over Egypt. And it's not doesn't seem to be working too well. Verse 16. The Pharaoh called for Moses. Now that the, the land's covered with all these locusts. Called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now last week I called this the repentance of a drowning man. You know, there's no such thing as a drowning atheist, right? Anybody who's drowning, right? Help me God, right? They're calling out to somebody because they're drowning, right? That same guy says there's no God when he's drowning. But you know what? The closer he gets to shore, the less he's believing in God. And when he gets there, he forgot about it, right? Well, this is Pharaoh. The locusts are everywhere. It's a total disaster. Egypt is in ruins. Oh, man. And he calls out to God. 
I've sinned. That's what they want to hear, so I'll tell them. I've sinned. And then Moses comes in, and we know for a fact that Pharaoh's not repentant. By the way, I'm sorry does not equal repentance. Amen? If I come over here and grab justice and pop him in the nose as hard as I can, right? And then I pick him up, bro, I'm sorry. And then I hit him again. Oh, bro, now I'm sorry. And hit him again. He's going to go, dude, you ain't sorry. You know what I mean? Because I'm not. Repentance means to turn. Repentance means I pick him up, I take him down to the hospital, and I, I pay for his medical costs, and then I, I go to work for him tomorrow, and I, I take care of everything. You know what I mean? I pay his rent because he can't work. and That's repentance. Repentance is not, oh, I'm sorry because I'm drowning, and I'm kind of hoping someone will throw me an oar. And that's what's happening here. Pharaoh's land is devastated, and he cries out, I have sinned. Because he's hoping that he'll get bailed out. But he has not truly repented, turned, changed his mind. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin, verse 17. Only this once. Once? How many times have we seen Pharaoh sin since we've been reading this? How arrogant are you? You've sinned only once. Would you, man, you've been sinning all day long, man. That's all you do is sin, Pharaoh. You don't get it. But he says, just this one time, I've blown it. And could you just forgive me just this one time? And entreat the Lord your God that he may take away Take, me, take away from me this death only. And so it's interesting to me that he confesses. And what does Moses do? Does Moses know Pharaoh's true heart? Does he know? Yes, because God told him his heart was hard. But does he pray for him anyway? Yes. Do you have people you know that you think are just a total lost cause? There's no way that guy's ever getting saved. Raise your hand if you know somebody like that. Pray for him anyway. Amen? That's what the Lord tells us to do. He's praying for Pharaoh. Pharaoh's hardened his heart over and over and over, yet he continues to pray for him. And God wants us to do the very same thing. Verse 18. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord turned a very strong west wind and took the locust away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in the territory of Egypt. It's interesting to me that whenever God delivers something, he delivers it completely. And he cast them into the Red Sea, the place of Pharaoh's coming judgment. Not one locust remained. Verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. Pharaoh responded according to his heart. Remember that the first five times we see it, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And eventually, it says God hardened his heart. What happens is as our heart gets harder and harder, there comes a place we turn ourselves over to a reprobate mind, the Bible says. Again, that's not for me to judge. We pray for everybody and pray that God will soften their heart until their heart, that they might receive his word. So that's the eighth plague. Let's move on to the ninth one. Just a few more minutes here. It says the ninth plague is darkness. Now like the third and the sixth plague, the ninth plague or ninth judgment came without any warning whatsoever and it came in response to Pharaoh's rebellion. Darkness it says, look at verse 31 or 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. Now have you ever been in a place so dark that you can feel it? One time, a friend, some friends of mine dropped me off, and my parents live up in the, in the Santa Cruz Mountains up in Felton. And this was before they had any street lights. And I'll never forget trying to walk up there. It must have taken me, they dropped me off at the bottom of the hill, and it probably took me an hour to get up there because it was, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. It was so dark you could feel it. And you know what? It's so dark, it's as dark as it gets. Why is it so dark in Egypt? Because there's an absence of what? Light. And who's the light? The Lord is. Amen? And you remove all light, and you have the ultimate darkness. And all light has been removed. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? And He is the light of the world. And you know what? Without Him, it's completely dark. It's pitch black place. 
And so what happens here, this heavy darkness is the absence of all light. And it's a picture of the ultimate separation of man and God when we get to heaven. Hell's going to be a dark place. It's going to be pitch black, torment, suffering, weeping, gnashing of teeth. And I think the plagues that we see here kind of give us a picture of what it will be like. And it's interesting to me that it will be pitch black. Why? Because the sun won't be there. And I'm not talking about the S-U-N, I'm talking about the S-O-N. Amen? And because he's not there, it's going to be dark. Now look at verse 22. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven. There was a thick darkness in the land of Egypt for three days. Now it's interesting to me that how many hours was it dark when Jesus died on the cross? Who remembers? Three hours. Right? From 12 until 3. Right? It was dark for three hours. Middle of the day, pitch black. How many days was it dark in the sense for the apostles after the crucifixion? Three days right? For three days, Jesus was buried. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. This darkness was a plague aimed at one of the chief Egyptian deities. It had a sun god named Ra. And what's interesting to me is Pharaoh was a representation of the sun god Ra. How's the sun god working out right about now? It's pitch black for three days. And it's so dark, you can't even leave your house. It's pitch black. You're immobilized. You're done. Why? Because the sun god Ra is a dead god, and you can't trust in him. Verse 23, I like this part. Then they did not see one another. They couldn't see one another. Nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. They couldn't leave their house because it was so dark. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. So everybody who didn't have God, their house was pitch black. They couldn't even get up because they couldn't see. But you went to the house of the children of Israel, and there was light in their house. What's that a picture of? There's supposed to be light in your house today. Amen? We're called to be the light of the world. Salt, light. God has called us to be that. Let me ask you a question. Is there light in your house right now? Is God's presence there? Is God being glorified in your home? Is there a loving relationship between the husband and wife? Are the children being raised in the admonition of the Lord? We are called to be salt and light. We should be glowing in the dark for Jesus Christ in our neighborhood. We're almost done. Verse 24. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let the little ones also go with you. Now he says, okay, you can take your wives and you can take your kids. Just leave your stuff. So here's the last compromise. Before he said, leave your family. Now he says, leave your possessions. Just leave your stuff. Now why does he need this stuff? Let me tell you why. All his, all his gods died, right? All the cows are dead. All the rams are dead. All the goats are dead. All the bulls are dead. They're all dead. But the animals that belong to Israel are alive. So he says, leave your stuff and go serve the Lord. And here's another thing that we get tempted by in the church today. Go serve God, but leave your possessions. Serve God, but leave your possessions in the world. Invest in worldly and temporal things. Invest in, instead of investing in the kingdom of God. Use God's resources for your personal comfort rather than to build this kingdom. You know what? We're guilty of that. We'll spend... We'll spend $40,000 on a new car, but we didn't think it's too much money to put our kids in Christian school. We'll spend money on, on a house, you know, $800,000 on a house, but we don't have two grand to go on a missions trip. Or we can't, you know, help provide for a missionary or other things. You know, we get our focus off of God and we get our focus on the world. And that's the compromise that's being dealt out here, saying, look, you can go, but leave your possessions here. Leave your stuff here. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? If your treasure's in your house, your heart will be in your house, your heart will be in your stuff. If your treasure is in the kingdom of God, then that's where your heart will be. 
Give it away. It's all his anyway. And you know what? Anybody who's come here more than once, I don't ask for your money. I don't want your money, okay? Where God guides, God provides. We're the exact opposite here. I tell you all the time. You want to go on a retreat, you want to go somewhere and you can't afford it, church will pay for it. I'm not trying to get you to tithe. But I do believe that as Christians, we need to give. Give of our time. Give of our gifts. Give of our resources. Give unto the Lord. Because that's the thing that will outlast this life. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? Nothing, I'm not going to be pulling out my Schwab account. Here, here's my portfolio, Lord. You want to take a look at it? I did pretty well. 22% the last year I was down there. What do you think? Take a look. God doesn't care. God doesn't need my money. Amen? He's got all the cattle on the thousand hills. And so the compromise here is leave your stuff. But look at Moses said. Look at verse 25. But Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know what we must, what we must serve the Lord until we arrive. We don't know what we're going to need to bring to serve God. But you know what? We're taking all of it. And if he wants all of it, we're going to give it all to him. And we're not leaving anything behind. We're not leaving a hoof behind. How do you think Pharaoh's feeling right about now? Every time he asks Moses to compromise, he goes, no, not, not, we're not doing that at all. No, not leaving one behind. No, you want me to leave? No, we're not leaving a hoof behind. We're leaving you nothing. We're taking it all. Because it all belongs to the Lord. We're not going to compromise. I kind of like Moses. Don't you like this guy? I mean, now he started off as a stutterer, but he seems to be doing pretty well right about now. Huh? Amen? And isn't that good? That tells me that maybe right now you feel like you're not adequate or God can't use you. I just want you to know that Moses was a stutterer and motor, Mo, Moses felt inadequate and God used him mightily. Why? Because he got to the point where he submitted wholly to God. God's not looking for ability but availability. Amen? He's not looking for how gifted you are because he's the one that gives you the gifts. He's just looking for someone who says, Lord, use me. And he will use you mightily. Let's finish up. Verse 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. So when he said, we're taking everything, he said, you're not going. We're going to find out if he goes or not. Next chapter. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my, you will see my face no more. For in that day that you see my face, you shall die. Well, guess what? Their faces are going to cross path again, but it's not going to be Moses who's dying. Amen? Someone's going to be at the bottom of the Red Sea. And it's not going to be Moses. It's going to be Pharaoh. And then so Moses said, you have spoken well, I will never see your face again. And what he means, in an opportunity for you to repent and give your life to the Lord. This is Pharaoh's last chance. He had given Moses four different times asking him to compromise. And four different times Moses said no. And I want to say this again. If we compromise, we'll get there quicker. Right? He could have gotten out of the land quicker, but he would have been out of God's will. He would have missed it. A lot of times we want to compromise. You know, again, with the dating thing. You know, but I'm, you know, my biological clock's ticking and he's kind of cute and I, you know, and I gotta, you know, I gotta be quick about this or I'm gonna miss out. It's being a youth pastor for a long time and I had a lot of kids that got into college and career and they go, man, I'm gonna miss out. You know what? Don't compromise. Don't cut corners. Wait for the one God has for you. We do the same thing when it comes to ministry. We do the same thing when it comes to our finances. We, we try to cut corners and do things quickly instead of waiting upon the Lord. God knows. He's faithful. He will provide. The worship team will come back up. In, compl- in conclusion, may we learn from Moses' example not to compromise. Don't compromise when it comes to leaving our children behind. Don't compromise when it comes to leaving our possessions in the world. May we trust and serve God with all that He's given us, all that He's given us charge over with our family, with our, with our possessions, with everything that we have. May we honor Him. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we do thank You and we praise You for Your Word. And, and I thank You, Lord, that You love us so very much. I thank You for the example, Lord, that even in the midst of these heavy-duty plagues, that, Lord, Moses remained steadfast and didn't compromise. And I pray, Lord, that we too would learn not to compromise. And, Lord, I just feel really led to pray for our kids. Lord, every one of our children, whether they're 40 years old or they're four weeks old, Lord, I just pray for them, Father God, that their, their hearts would be soft, that their eyes would be open. The ones that don't know you, that, Father God, they would see their need for you. And, Lord, you would give us opportunities to minister your truth to them. And for the little ones, Lord, that they would come to know you at a young age. They would serve you all of their lives, Father God. Lord, we dedicate each and every one of them to you. And, Lord, with our possessions, Father God, I pray that we would not be holding so tightly that they possess us. But, Father God, may we just hold tightly only to you. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close our worship song.